to the Crash Chords Podcast. Um, it's Matt, as usual, with John and Steve. Um, we're going to get right into the news. And our first news story is about how KISS actually has a brand new album coming out this October. Um, it's been four decades since their first album, their debut album, which was a long time ago. I didn't exist yet. And uh, they're very excited about the new album. There are actually even a few quotes in the article about... From... Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, who are the only original band members who are going to be recording on the album. Um, yeah. It, it, I, I don't know if Kiss should still be making music. <laughs> That's a fair statement. I mean... It's a different principle than Aerosmith. First, we yeah. agreed Aerosmith is the kind of guy who, he, he fits the niche, and well, everyone is always looking forward to the niche, but with Kiss, it's more of a gimmick. Than anything else. Yeah, and uh, gimmicks are passing fads. I think their mini band is probably at this point more popular than the actual band. Hmm. Have you seen them? No. The mini Kiss. There was, no. a, there was oh, a Dr. Pepper commercial. Yeah, with oh, a min- with midgets dressed as Kiss. It's a cover band too. That sounds terrifying. It, it was. <laughs> well, the and ironically, the tongues the well, same. Well, I think length. the differences with Kiss is that. While Aerosmith kind of never went away, they were always somehow in the spotlight. Kiss has had like 18 farewell tours. Yeah, they dip in and out and in and out of music every few years. And like, I guess after Gene Simmons realized he could make a career being, you know, being a reality TV star, that he came back to try and write music. And I mean, their later stuff isn't terrible either, it's just... In fact, actually their earlier stuff, I, I hear... I hear things from people who are actually diehard fans of the band that, you know, the stuff that isn't commonly broadcast on the radio, you know, the singles and everything, there's other material of theirs which is more cutting edge, more, you know, shows more emotions other than the one that we all see, which is getting a little old. Uh, Just like them. Well, according to the article, that their last album had come out in 2009. So, I mean, it hasn't been that long since their last album. But it's been a long time that they've been around, and also I never heard their last album. I don't even if, know if I knew it came out. The f- uh, well, yeah, they've got four decades, twenty albums. They're averaging one every other year. Yeah, it's a little scary because I didn't even realize they had made that much music. Yeah, everybody knows Kiss. Hey, they're productive. Yeah, I mean, but they're like credit there. in the background of your of your musical taste. I don't know many people <laughs> who are actual diehard fans. Who are following every single album. But yeah. if you're not a diehard fan, it's more like, oh yeah, Kiss, there's one or two songs I like. Well, that's just the thing. In that case, I can't really judge because, I mean, with all that discography, I can't really say for certain what they're doing or whether I wouldn't like it because there's just too much for me I, to know. Oh, I call Kiss the type of band for me where I'm a Greatest Hits fan. You know, I have the Greatest Hits. I like their big singles over the last 40 years. but And I'm not a fan of their Greatest Hits. So I'm put, I would like to put some stock in what these people are saying. You know the, the people out there talking I mean, about. Oh, we, we don't know. We don't them. know the true kiss. Them, those them, people, those people. I'm <laughs> sick of them. They're out there. Them. They always suck. Those people. Them. Them. There is a quote from uh, Gene Simmons though saying that the band is more focused than ever. The weather looks great for the band. Reinvigorated, redefined, refocused, and reborn. So I mean, he's obviously positive and passionate about this new project. So we'll see if that comes through when the record comes out. I just, I don't know if they're going to try and do what Aerosmith does and kind of stick to the formula that works, or if they're going to try and do something new. I mean, remember, in the 80s, when they released the album with Lick It Up, where they kind of tried to do the 80s hair metal thing like everyone else did, they took off the makeup, they made the hair bigger, 
and it kind of didn't get well received. Though I happen to like Lick It Up personally, because I like 80s hair metal, it wasn't as well received as their theatrical stuff. I mean, there's no doubt about Kiss, if anything, that they can put on a live show. They've always been about theatrics. Rob Zombie wouldn't have a career like he does (laughs) in theatricality if it weren't for Kiss. Because that's what Kiss does. They do a stage show. Yeah, I mean, this is a music podcast, so I suppose there is a little bit of bias there on my part that, you know, because they are a stage show, it is more of a gimmick than anything else, less about the music, per se. Yes and no. I mean, I don't know that people would have enjoyed the stage show if the music wasn't there to back it up. I mean, whether whether you love or hate Kiss, I mean, Detroit Rock City, Rock and Roll All Night, I mean, these are strong, solid, classic rock songs. And the fireworks don't hurt. Right. Especially if I'll you're say p- that they're tailor made to you know appease the audience. Tailor made, tailor made to get people moving. Yes, and also with them, I think, especially with music in general. While I like music and I feel like you should be able to listen to an album on its own and that should be enough. When you pay sixty to a hundred dollars for a stadium concert, you want a show. You don't want a band that just sits there and kind of strums the guitar and doesn't move around. Like, it doesn't have depends, to be over the top. Depends. I actually would disagree with that. If the music really, really holds up, if it offers enough of interest, uh, of nuance, then I, I have definitely been to shows where bands literally just stand there but next were they to the mic. stadium shows? That's what I said. I said stadium shows specifically. Because small venue shows, yes, I agree. You don't need a big show, but I feel like big stadium rock arenas... You need some kind of presence I besides the music. I saw Ryan Adams in the Philadelphia... Hey, you know, don't knock him. Oh, no, I'm not. I just... <laughs> not what I expected you to say. But yeah, Ryan Adams... Well, granted, I mean, you know, got my variation in taste, but he's just a guy with a guitar, mm-hmm. right? He doesn't have to do a lot of, you know, theatrics, certainly, for his work. He just... Him, a guitar, a stool, and a mic. But did he talk to people between songs? Did he try to entertain the crowd besides playing the songs? Sure. But that's that goes with any show. I mean, yeah. Kiss could not get away with simply that. No, obviously not. But that's because they have an expectation at this point. That's Fair because enough. they have always used fireworks. Hmm. Well, as keep them coming as, then, as because as... that those fireworks will save Kiss. <laughs> if gunpowder runs out, I don't know. I kinda, Kiss is done. I kind of want to hear what they're doing nowadays. I think uh, we might go. I might go back and try to stream one or two of their old, it's more recent but older uh, albums. I'm expecting some C4 next time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go out with a bang! All right, I've got 35 pounds of C4 and a couple hundred tons of nitroglycerin. Let's have fun. All right, sounds like a time. <laughs> anyway, moving next, on. Next story. <laughs> um, the the next thing that we. Um, have here for news is the Killers are preparing to release their new album coming towards the end of this year uh, called Battleborn and we got to listen to and watch the video for the newest single Runaways where I'm sure this will shock everyone we agreed to disagree on this uh, song and how much we liked it well I don't think how much we liked it I think we everyone kind of liked it but they just some people were less impressed than others I didn't like it at all no I I said it, it was it's easily Forgettable. It's not very innovative, um, which is actually what I, I kind of expect from the Killers. A little more substance to it. This was all a lot of fluff, not a lot of substance. It felt like they were channeling YouTube or Coldplay, like some of the more recent stuff by them. And it, you know, I'm not a big YouTube fan, or even at all a YouTube fan. And that's what it, it felt like. It was it was lacking personality. 
It was lacking some heart that you come to expect from the killers. And it definitely didn't have the attitude that the um, killers has. Okay, audience, get ready for this. I agree with John. <laughs> oh my, I don't believe it. I don't believe it myself, I really don't. But, yeah, no, you make a good point. And, and you better take all this, because when we get to corn, we're going to be like odds and ends every step of the way. But... Spoilers. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. No, you saw, you no, saw no, the same No, no, I, I really agree completely with you. I, I, I think there's much less ingenuity. I did not see the appeal that I got from Hot Fuss. You know, granted, that's years ago, but that's apparently they've been on a steady decline in my book, or our definition of what the killers is. I think they've lost the attitude, and they've gone back to typical pop. And I feel the exact opposite. I actually quite enjoyed the new song. I agree it doesn't sound at the same level that Hot Fuss does, but Hot Fuss is a very singular album. I feel like um, Sam's Town and then, uh, what was the other one? I think it was Day and Night was the third album. They're a very different sound, and I feel that Runaways is a lot closer to Humans and uh, Spaceman from the third album. You know, Runaways wasn't... I agree, it wasn't revolutionary, it wasn't innovative, but as far as a bass stadium, stadium size, like an arena rock song, it kind of felt like, like something in the way of later Rolling Stones or, you know, that kind of classic rock feel, I felt it was there. I felt it was different for the killers, but I still didn't feel it was a bad song. I'll admit it's not a song that would make me redefine the killers or the genre. But well, I didn't say they were arena rock. I mean, I think they simply had attitude. No, no. I think they lost No, no, that. I'm saying that the new song has an arena rock vibe. I'm not saying that they are. I'm just saying that this, this song had a different kind of sound, but I didn't feel it was necessarily bad. I liked it. I thought it was a good song. It wasn't their best, no. by no means, it, but I thought, I, I thought it was good. It's a little passe for me, but I did, I did compare them to Keen, which actually, um, the song at least, this yeah. is the song we're discussing. Keen... I happen to like very much, but the thing is, I feel like Keen gets away with things that uh, the Killers simply can't because they have an extremely good vocalist. Right. And I, it's not to say that um, this guy isn't, but he, he does better with attitude than he does with all-out, you know, broad-spectrum singing, entertaining a massive crowd. It's he's a bit more low-key. I, I will agree with you on this. Uh, Brandon Flowers as a singer. I think as a lyricist especially, is very unique, and he writes songs that are very, not just catchy, but they have unique lyrics, lyrics that make you think about what he's saying, you know. And I didn't get that vibe from this song either, Right, though. that I'll agree with. I'll agree that the lyrics were, were on par, and were, were subpar, and that they weren't as good as past stuff. I, now, if this, if this song is any indication from the album, it's, it's like they lost, it's like their instruments lost their personality. Because you look back at, mm. at their big hits was Mr. Brightside, Somebody Told Me. Their instruments really had personality to them. Not just the lyrics, but it, it's, it, the instruments had the attitude. They made good, good, good use of reverb and echo. Yeah, the, that was their signature. They, they had a lot of, of, of um, just, just personality. I mean, they had a lot of, of, of being character. in yeah. their character. character, being in their instruments. You could, they, they had emotions in their actual instruments. In their guitar work, especially in their guitar work, and um, the little bit of they threw in some piano and things like that. I mean, they they had complexity, and that brought apart, um, uh, not brought apart, brought across uh, emotions in their actual songs. This felt really hollow. It felt not quite soulless. I mean, we're not talking U two soulless, but we're talking it lost something. Yeah, I I, I follow you there, but. Um... I, I don't want to get 
I don't want to get too into this, because after all, we have not heard the album yet. Yeah. And based on what we determined last week with uh, Payphone, the signal, the, uh, the, the single, single from um, Maroon 5 album, yeah. uh, <laughs> the Maroon 5 album definitely offered us things that were very, very different from that. That was just a tailor-made pop song. Kind of, you know, similar in principle, I suppose, to this, but there were other things. So sometimes singles really are just, you know, for the people that only intend to buy that one. So the people who really don't listen too deeply. They want something that serves that purpose and that purpose only. Just I, to... I hope so, because I do like The Killers. Yeah, sure. I like their first two albums. I never really listened to the third album, so I can't say what direction. I can't, I can't say this is different. It's just different from their early stuff. Al- um, Album-conscious bands do not think too deeply into their singles. Yeah, or, I would like. I want to see that. I want to see the rest of the album before I really go to judgment on on them as a band. But this is not a good indicator okay, well, to, for me. That's fine, and and I can see where you guys are coming from because, like I said, this song is definitely very different from the first album. But again, I didn't hate it. I thought it was a good track. Um, I'm probably going to post it up on the site later on as a song shot. So other people can check it out. Okay, so we got two skeptics and one fanboy. So <laughs> let's look forward to the album. No, no, no I'm a, I'm a fanboy of Killers, of early Killers. Yeah, I was See. just talking about the song. Just talk the song. That's all. That's all. Anyway, <laughs> now we're gonna go to our album of the week. Uh, it's our album review of the week, which was picked by John this week. Um, kind of out of left field, actually. Well, not really out of left field. This is an album that does suit my taste surprisingly. It is Korn's most recent rendition. Uh, what was... Uh, it had a weird name. And I'm enjoying watching you struggle with trying to think of what, what the, the album, album title. We Something did the same thing with Maroon Longevity? 5. Longevity? No, it's The Path of Totology. Total, the Path of Totology. Uh, totality, I'm sorry. Total. I was close. Yeah. Longevity, Totality. Anyway, no, it was um, a new type of Korn. It was Korn plus dubstep. Which sounds awful, and I really thought this album was going to be terrible. About a half hour before we started listening to it, I saw a little uh, preview about it, talking about Skrillex and dubstep and wub wub, and I immediately started making fun of the album without even hearing it. I'm just going to keep letting you going. (laughs) And then I heard the album, and I changed my mind. It ended up not being bad at all. It, it has low points, but the album itself was corn. It felt like corn. In other words, you caved. <laughs> oh, sh- no, no. <laughs> Shush. All right, I'll wait my turn. There's plenty of corn that sucks. Sure. There's plenty sure. of music Def- that sucks. But, but that's, that's, that has no bearing here. So the album, this album came out uh, last year in December, um, December 2nd. And when I had first heard about it, I'd heard the single Narcissistic Cannibal way back, mostly because a friend of mine sent it to me as a gag, like, oh, look, Corns with Skrillex, this should be good. And I remember listening to it and thinking it wasn't bad, but it was also very different from, from some of their other stuff. I mean, the dubstep influences are definitely there. Well, let's look at the facts here. The biggest, most glaring difference in the whole album is the inclusion of all that dubstep. The replacement of standard instruments with electronic instruments and and synth and all that. Right. So, that said, that is the big difference. Otherwise, you have to judge it. It is a corn album. I agree with you on that point, John. It is definitely a corn album. Like, you have to struggle when you're the first track because the sound itself, the, the, the vibe that you get, is so different. But then, when you sit and listen to it, it has the same melodic structure, the same verse and chorus structure, 
everything about it really, really is a corn album. So I'm going to judge it on those terms, which I'll get to later. <laughs> I mean, for me, I was skeptical at first because Korn's last album, which was... I don't remember the name of it, but that's how forgettable it was. It just wasn't great. It, they had substitute musicians. Um, Jonathan Davis, Monkey, and Fielder were the only original members still left in the band. And it just felt very hollow and very kind of, here's a record to tide you over. Whereas this album, be it different and kind of jarring at first... You felt the love and care of a Korn album as far as the, the quality they put into a record. It didn't feel soulless like their last album. Love and care. Um, uh, love and care are the two adjectives you chose. How about, no, I, I prefer <laughs> anger and passion. That's what you get in a Korn album. I get anger and anger. <laughs> No, they, they, they definitely decided to stick with their roots, which is what I think you were trying to say. Yes. Corn um, is not caressing us with their <laughs> words. But no, the they, love doesn't always have to be happy and or kind. It can be aggressive and angry. All right, all right. That's a fair point. I agree with you there. However, I still do not think this is one of those bands, <laughs> even so. Well, the, okay, the first track was terrible, and I thought my fears were justified. Yes, we were all on board there. It wasn't until about the third or fourth track that I started feeling like I was hearing corn. My wall felt like they took a corn uh, um, tempo and really made it into, you know, a dubstep tempo. But they kept, you know, the roots there. It, it, it was corn. And the singing was corn. The singing's always corn. And by Narcissistic Cannibal... Bleh, that, that one, the cannibal Narcissistic one. Cannibal. Narcissistic Cannibal. There you go. That's when I really started feeling like this was a great album, and it, uh, it, it started getting really good. And it was uh, the ninth track, Get Up, where it was Wub Wub married to Korn's lyrics, married to their kind of passion that you come to expect in their songs, and I really, really liked that one. That's when the album really started getting just amazing. I definitely enjoyed the drum track on, on that particular song. I... I thought it, I thought it was innovative. I mean, granted, the drum track is not drums; it's it's electronic, but that there's still something to be said for ingenuity there. I mean, even though you're working at a computer, that that really doesn't take away from the um, it takes a little bit away from the physical talent, but it doesn't take away from the mental talent. You still need to conceive that. You know, I don't think they put it through a random generator before before coming up with that choice. But I mean, it's technical, highly technical. I think that. This album definitely shows that Korn, they still have it when it comes to writing, lyrics, and music. And that this wasn't just something that was purely created in a computer by the dubstep uh, artists who remixed it. There's clearly guitars, drums, and bass that were played and written that was then dubstep. I don't think that it was just, hey, you know, here's some lyrics, put a beat to it. I think that there was definitely writing involved. I think that it was definitely this. It was a collaboration. I mean, there's a different dubstep artist on every track. Although I think Skrillex was repeated a couple of times. The, no, there was a couple of different artists on uh, um, that were used more than once. Uh, it, it, this it's more like they're trying to evolve. Yes, they want and, to try something new. It's the, and it's apparent that it, they're working on it. It's not re refined, but it's definitely not all the tracks were really good. None, some of the tracks didn't even approach good, um, but most of the tracks 
definitely captured the feel of uh, the new metal married to uh, dubstep, which is what they're going for. Um, one of the ones, one of the tracks I really liked, which was way too far. Uh, me and Steve were talking about it, and I called it impressionistic industrial. Yeah, there's that. That's that's a good time to bring up that point because there's a lot of visual stuff at work right here. I'll give him that. I saw a movie. This is a soundtrack to a movie. It hasn't been written yet, although it kind of has many, many times throughout the 90s and the thousands. It, I'm visualizing something in the vein of like a sort of a typical vampire film, which makes it a little bit cliche for me, but I see them trying to take that to the next step. It's just like, I feel like they haven't quite done it yet. I still feel like they're a little bit, uh, ten years in the past. Just ten years. With the inclusion of dubstep. And that's their attempt at trying. But Korn itself hasn't changed. Well, not every band has to change. Look at, look at when we were talking about Aerosmith. They have not changed. Yeah, no, but... they haven't, but that's why we're not doing any Aerosmith albums anytime soon. <laughs> because I don't know what to say. I mean, whatever I would say would be the same thing that people have been saying for the past 30 years. There's nothing new to say about it. So it's not really worth talking. Not pertinent. Yeah. Well, I had said earlier that I feel like I feel like this is the right direction for new metal to go because a lot of new metal bands have kind of stagnated or even fallen off, and I feel like Corn's working towards the next step. They may not be there yet, but you felt the Corn influence in the tracks. You could definitely hear it in the melodies, as you said before. And I had said earlier that this was a better Linkin Park tr- album than the Linkin Park album. Which is a good point. Because for me, I felt like the, the problem with the Linkin Park album is that they were evolving, but into something completely different and being too schizophrenic. Whereas this marriage of Jonathan Davis' music writing and lyrics, along with Monkey and Fieldy's music writing and lyrics, married with this dubstep sound, felt like an evolution. It might not be the, the completely next step, but this is almost what I imagined the Linkin Park album was going to sound like before I heard it, and it didn't. Whereas Korn took this kind of marriage of new metal and dubstep and made it work so you could hear those songs and still go, this is Korn. I mean, this was more Korn than their last album, and that didn't have dubstep in it. Well, hmm. you, you can say that, well, dubstep traces its roots to full-fledged techno. You can say techno is the classic rock of the genre. And the trance is more of the pop. And if anything is going to be a metal electronica sound, it's going to be dubstep. It's going to be Nero and Skrillex and Dead Mouse and all that sort of stuff. So this is, it's not like we're talking apples and oranges. It's, uh, you know, North American apples and Eastern European apples. They're still in the same family, but they're very different coins. Okay, I actually buy that analogy. I actually think that's a very, very good point. Trance really is the pop of, of and techno is yeah, uh, well, the biggest is trance the hits like Sandstorm and the songs by Zombie Nation. I mean, those aren't trance. Those are those are more techno. Are they more techno? Trance tends to be a lot higher pitched and tends to have uh, either bad Japanese singing or high female voices singing. Trance also barely changes its beat. Mm. Yes, the beat is so steady. After a while, you're kind of it's mind numbing. <laughs> Not that I said I still like trance. I but mean, to, to, I don't. <laughs> Can to, you tell? For me, the the thing that really solidified this album because I haven't talked specific tracks much because you covered a lot of that, John, was bleeding out. I think it was the second to last track. The thing that really sold it for me is that Jonathan Davis in in every album except the last one 
think, except the last one, had always worked in bagpipes because Jonathan Davis has been playing bagpipes since he was a small boy. And it's kind of, it was kind of an oddity in new metal, at least. Not a lot of new metal bands had bagpipes. And the fact that they worked it in so well in Bleeding Out and that I thought the dubstep marriage in, in, in Bleeding Out was very good with the bagpipes. I thought it was definitely interesting. It was different. And I really liked it and kind of solidified for me that this was a corn album and that I liked it. Okay, Bleeding Out was easily my favorite track on the album because it offered something of variety. Yeah. That's the only thing that I feel like, well, okay, that's not the only thing. There's a lot of things I feel like this album was lacking personally. But, I mean, this is what gonna, do I want to end with the compliments or start with the compliments here? Because well, Bleeding Out really, really was the gem. It offered a lot of intriguing interludes. The Bagpipes was certainly one of them. Like, when it comes, you just... You're kind of floored by it because I mean it comes at the eleventh track of the album, so you're already kind of set into that uh, dubstep type, dubstep corn marriage, as you put it. You, your your ears can only take so much of that. So by the time the eleventh track comes along, it's kind of long overdue. I, I, but I enjoyed it. I really did. I mean, I thought those were very very innovative interludes. I can only say that about it. Okay. Well, tell us. Tell me more about what you thought about the album as a whole. All right. Well, that's uh, that's just the thing. Um, even though in that particular track, I thought the interludes worked, in general, there's a lot of interchangeable parts in this album. I did not see a uniformity. I mean, it's kind of, I would call it sort of mindless passion. Like, I, I don't find any particular vibe that they're going for, except anger. Now, John, you put it, there are different types of anger. And I accept that choice. I just, this album... Perhaps, perhaps it's something about the genre, the the new genre that they're trying to form, this dubstep new metal fusion. But there's something about it which is just a little bit, uh, a little bit flatline, you know. And the interchangeable parts that I'm referring to, I'm talking about the verses, the choruses, the drum tracks. I feel pretty strongly that you could take any one of those three tracks anywhere in the album, shuffle them around. Make a new song out of it, and it would be just as accepted as any of the other tracks. I don't feel they're very much so composed or written as they are spliced and overlaid. Okay. That's my statement. Okay, I can see that. But honestly, is that a bad thing? Because I don't find that as a bad thing that's for a reason. That's subjective. <laughs> right. And that's the point I'm trying to make, is not that you're wrong, but that it, it is subjective. And I think that that's kind of an innovation in it, itself. And where I'm going with that is... If you have these songs created by this marriage of new music that are interchangeable and you can deconstruct and rebuild, the remixers, especially on the internet, are going to have a field day with that. And some of the, 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 the DJs that make a career out of just remixing other people's music could probably take the separate tracks of this album, because I'm sure there's a garage band ver version of it that's layered, and deconstruct it and rebuild it. And have fun with it. I mean, there was a Nine Inch Nails album, I don't remember which, I'm sure someone will correct me at some point, but there was a Nine Inch Nails album that came out a couple years ago that was released through GarageBand or Bandcamp or one of those engineering programs, and then he let the fans remix and rebuild the tracks and play with it, and then he released an album of fan remixes that was not for profit. Well, I think that's great for experimentation, but I suppose in the end I really am looking for a final product. Right, and there's something about this which, like I said, interchangeable parts. I can't get that. I, I it feels incomplete to me. What about uh, Steve? Uh, what do you feel for like Daft Punk? 
Uh, like, do you like them? Do you like them? I do actually like Daft Punk. Okay. Now look at their early stuff and look at their later stuff. Wouldn't you say it's a lot of remixing? It's a retooling of the same sound they started and didn't quite perfect. Because I would look at this album as sort of like as innovative as what Daft was for Electronica. As sort of like a creation, a genesis for a new type of music. I'm not saying it's going to be good or bad, but I, I feel like that's maybe where this is starting. True, but I even draw the line at Daft Punk, and I guess I kind of see where you're going with this, because as far as I'm concerned, Daft Punk, they really, they really perfected that happy side of techno, if that makes sense. It does. It's, it's enjoyable. Here's and this the is perfecting side. the angry side. It's still one-dimensional, one-dimensional, <laughs> but I I can understand the comparison. I one-dimensional, regardless of the so, size. So we're saying you know, this is one-dimensional. Then we're saying this is like the other side of the coin in this case, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it's like where we stood on as tall as lions. You believe they did good for what they, you know, for yeah. what they did, even though if it wasn't your taste. This is not my taste because, like I said, I see a lot of cliched qualities in this. Well, I think we both agreed on what the worst tracks in this album were, which was uh, um, one of the worst ones, number 12, whose name I don't even want to remember. It was just so bad. It had all anger, very little actual passion, constructive passion to it. Right. And uh, there was a couple of other songs like that, uh, the first, first two, three tracks, not quite a marriage between the two, but I said, and I think you agreed with me. If we got rid of the singing, if we got rid of the actual lyrics, it was just dubstep. That's what it felt like. It's just a plain old Skrillex song. Yeah, but that's just the thing. I think on its own, that might have actually serviced better. Because I, I suppose I don't really see the marriage that you're talking about as much. It seems like a very strange class, which I understand they did because they were lacking a drummer. Now, that, that's, that's a valid point. In which case, they did a damn good job like fulfilling that gap. Via this other stuff. But there's still a little bit of a musical disparity, which I see. The past albums, uh, at least the last two, um, David, their former drummer, hadn't been playing on. Um, And they had gotten, I believe, the drummer from Slipknot, whose name escapes me, was sitting in with them. And did a great job for what, what they were trying to do for that music. I can understand your disparity, and I don't think that we'll ever completely just flat out agree on it. But... But I'm curious to see where this goes. For me, my interest is peaked just because every other album we've listened to has, like, for as tall as Lions, I expected to like it. For Linkin Park, I had kind of no expectation because their last album was so disorganized as well. Maroon 5, all three of us went in with completely set expectations uh, mm. of, a media, of an okay pop rock record, and then they destroyed... Our expectations. And this exceeded your expectations. And I think this exceeded my expectations. Right. I was, and, I, and on that point, I have to agree, it probably did exceed mine as well. I th- expected it to be flat out bad. And not bad like, oh, that music sucks, it's just bad. I expected it to be um, disorganized, I expected it to not make sense, to to not flow, to not feel like corn. I expected it to be a collaboration in where you go, why are these two people working together? Well, it's a strange thing, because I feel like... It worked for me. It it saved itself. It exceeded my expectations on the grounds that it sort of botched creativity via the gap that they had to fill because of their drummer. But it's still a little scrapped together as a result. Like I said, it's that interchangeability, which I feel really... uh, It just... It doesn't pull me in. I don't know. And that's fair. 
I'm gonna disagree with you because I didn't hear that inter- that 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 lack. You felt a continuity through each. I did. Track? I felt like I felt like the tracks did in fact flow well together, and I felt like each track did have a distinction to it. But then again, I yeah, think I, I think my I ears are a little more used to, used to trance that type of, and techno yeah. and dubstep and hearing the differences. Well, you in the might beats. you might be hearing a connect as far as dubstep goes and that kind of music, you know, and, and the the trance and the techno. And Steve's hearing a disconnect because he's more accustomed to a uh, different musicality that he's not hearing there. Yeah. Well, I'm accustomed to some some framework of context, right. and I felt like this lacked context. I think that this album is a stepping stone for either something better or something worse. And I think their next album, if they continue to I go with, with this, I agree with that. I think it could it'll either be even better or it will plummet. But I think this <laughs> is that stepping stone they need. Stepping stone is the perfect word, honestly, because stepping stone, as I said, if they were trying if they had to fill a gap there, right? If they had to upgrade themselves, they're they're bound to have some setbacks, in which case perhaps it is the the writing that is suffering here and uh you know, they were actually able to f- facilitate a sound, right? I'm, I'm impressed, actually, that they were able to get that sound out. Because yeah. as we said, when we heard the first track, we were all a little bit skeptical. Oh, we yeah. didn't think this marriage was going to work. And I suppose it, it was manageable. That's, yeah. that's the best word I can use. It was manageable. And, and I like that. That's actually a great point. I think that you hit the nail on the head. I think that what it comes down to is the album was well made for what it is. And that it, beyond that, it becomes personal preference. Perhaps you're right. Yeah, I think that there... I suppose if we're going we're gonna to delve into that personal, pre- personal preference thing, because we're going to get into genrefication in a little bit. But right. regarding personal preference, we started to talk a little bit before about the, um, the vibe that they were actually trying to give off, the emotions there. Right. And I see a little bit of brooding. Do you? They, they're, okay, they're slip... Uh, what's it called? They've always been angry. They've always had different types of anger in their music. They've had a little bit of the, the hatred kind of anger, but they tend to stay away from that. They have the rageful ha- anger in their music, kind of uh, trying to get back at something. They have the, the indignation. Indignation. That one. That kind <laughs> of anger where they've been hurt. They've had that, that, that sort of anger, all different types of anger in their music. See, th- this now, is where I have to accept you probably are more familiar with the genre than I am, because these are oh, subtle yeah. things that I'm not picking up. Right. But, and one thing they've always had is in all of their music, up until the last few albums, which were very unimpressive, they've always had passion. Passion, for me, in music like this, is sort of a productive, focused anger. Where it's it's not just being pissed off, but channeling it in such a way as to create something positive out of it, and that was that was the first few albums for me with with these guys with Corn. It's, it's it's just so it, they made something out of what what you fear is just too much okay. boiling in them. All right, we're we're getting into something good here okay. because and I see it in this album. I still see that same level of passion, not in every song, but I think it was because. They weren't connecting the same way with this music that they used to. And I think, I, but I saw, I saw a little bit of it thrown, flowing through. Especially the very last track at the very end, which I know you liked as well. I did, I did. Which I know you, Matt, liked as well. But for such a completely different reason. Yeah, it was, maybe, it was, it was, um... Jonathan Davis's signature scatting, which is in Twist, and which is in uh, Freak on a Leash, he does, 
in the fu- in the final track, but he does it almost at odds with the beat. It was kind of a very give and take with with the dubstep sound. Oh, it was mostly in tandem, but I was so shocked to see how well that worked. It worked. Very His well. voice and and the the backdrop. For, the, the... For, for that track, if they had just cut that part and that was the final track, I would have liked it more. It's catchy, and it ended on a high note for me as a result. Uh, I'm not sure if it really made a great last track, but it was the best I had heard up to that point. Well, with the exception of uh, track 11. In wrapping up with, with this album review, I feel that the last album to have this kind of passion was two albums ago they released an untitled record. It was shortly after, I think it was the second record after um, Head had left and became a born-again Christian and started speaking against Korn, saying that the music was the devil, and blah, 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 unimportant drama. But the point is, Jonathan Davis was very hurt by it because him and Head were very good friends before he flipped. And so the Untitled album had many tracks that were clearly directed at him, a focused anger and hatred, and that Jonathan Davis would say in interviews, the lead singer, were clearly about him. And that he would... He j- because he flat out said that he was pissed at this person. And the funny part about it is the flip side is Head wrote a book after leaving Korn about becoming a born-again Christian completely denouncing Korn and pointing fingers at Jonathan Davis specifically. So you felt that kind of anger and passion and drama in that album. And then that's why the last album was so soulless after the Untitled record. Because... That focused energy wasn't there. They just kind of wrote songs about stuff. It was very, kind of, it felt flat. It felt diffused. Right. It felt separated. The music and the lyrics and the band was sort of not really meshing together. They didn't know where they were going. But this album, you feel that kind of rebuilding. That's why I say it's a great stepping stone, because you can tell that this album is the next step in Korn's career. For better or for worse, This they needed to go somewhere... And this is where they went, and it's going to build the building blocks for their future. Right, right. I agree with all that. But um, I do want to bounce off of something that John said earlier, because I thought I was uh, getting into a pretty good segue here for uh, genrefication. And that is what you started to say about uh, their tone, their range of emotions, which I can accept all as subunits of the idea anger. Now, they've always been pretty good at that. But I suppose what I'm looking for, which offers you a more broad-spectrum idea of, you know, the, the various tones that you're getting is something more like contemplation, which I simply do not get from this style of music, I suppose. Well, I could definitely see that. You, you don't see much in the way of slower tracks, of easier tracks, but then again, this is corn. Well, I feel like I'm getting too much of one thing. Like, as I said, the album is very uniformed, and they're kind of just throwing this one thing at me over and over and over again. Gonna... I suppose I, I, it, it wears on me. If you're going to go with dubstep, though, it's hard to, to say, well, well, let's have a nice, slow, contemplative uh, of course dubstep that's, album. That's just it. And maybe that's the problem, because um, I, I'm i going to speak to the, oh, well, this is a weird way to put it, but the good old days of Korn, and that would be, you know, the Freak on a Leash stuff. Yeah. There was a there was some guitar work in there, which I thought brought out that contemplation perfectly. Yeah. Just the introduction of the track was so eerie. It, it it sets you in this in this this mood that you're not exactly sure where it's gonna go. It does not it doesn't say everything too soon. And with these tracks, it says it all too soon. I have to agree and also kind of disagree with John a little bit because the, in the older corn albums there were slow tracks. There were contemplative tracks. They all had them. Jonathan Davis did angry, but he also did a quiet, sad kind of angry as well. And 
I will agree with Steve in the fact that you do feel kind of like you're hit with one standard emotion, not the levels like you would felt in other albums. And that's why this dubstep stuff is a very, very shaky step. You know, you're, you're, you're taking that next step on the stairwell, and you could go plummeting. Like, you don't know. You could fall right through the floor. They might make it up. I don't know. I, I don't know the next evolution of dubstep, to be honest. I think that there's going to be... So there is a the future. There's a potential future. I think that there was kind of... In this, this bonding of the two genres, I think that the dubstep kind of overtook... Like, you definitely felt like it was corn, but there wasn't that kind of come down that you would expect from corn. And right. I think that the next step of this will have to be more of a balance of highs and lows. It's, it's almost like they have to find a DJ, specific, <laughs> someone who will mix their music. Not yeah. Because this was a compilation, a work with a bunch of different, right. so you different take, guys. You take these guys away, and what's left? I mean, yes, corn. I mean, each, each of them, each of them... Each of the musicians working with Korn was working with their own mindset and how they make their dubstep. And it, it's, they didn't find the guy who's going to be their beat master. They well, the way it sounds him. like from that assessment is that they maybe lucked out because they were able to get these collaborations going. Yeah, so it's it's they're testing the water. I'm sure that if they actually do find someone that truly complements their musical personality you're going to start seeing those slower tracks again because it's not impossible to do right. in an electronic framework, but it's kind of hard to do in a dubstep framework. And, well, they were just working with a bunch of dubstep DJs. There's only, there's only so far. Right. All right. Well, there's some people out there who believe that dubstep is really the death of music in many ways just because uh, it is so you know, shamelessly repetitive. That, that's a matter of, of opinion. The, that sure. Thing, the death of I music. said some people. <laughs> but to, to wrap this up, I'll start. Personally, I felt that this album, for me, honestly, was a four out of five. Well, a three and a half out of five, I'll give it. I thought that it was better than average. It was definitely better than average. Um, and as far as a corn album goes, it was a step in the right direction comparatively to the last album. I liked it a lot. I would definitely go out of my way to listen to it in the future. Was that three out of five? Yeah, uh, a 3.5 out of 5. 3.5. Because I don't know that I'd give it a 4 because there were definitely disparities. There were definitely things that felt missing, felt like they were missing. But I definitely would give it a 3.5 because I like where it's going and I'm, I'm excited to see the next step. I'm actually excited for the next Corn album, which is supposed to come out sometime this year. Because I want to see if they use what they learned from this and they just go straight corn or if they continue to work with dubstep and make that next step. I'm curious to see where it goes. Okay, I'm uh, I'm going to bump that down to three personally. But, okay. um, you know, not a significant drop. Like I said, I see the future that, that you're, um, you know, naively hoping, hoping will occur. For, yeah. But, um, you know, like I said, there's just a lot of disconnect here. Um, the points that I'm giving that, that bump it up to three are mainly because of the uh, the way they were able to work it in. I do think there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of work involved in that. A lot of um, a lot of talent, and I think the collaborations. I believe it was all very thorough. But beyond that, like I said, the interchangeability. It's just I feel like they were kind of just making it up as they went along, and it, it might not last in the future. I'm gonna give it a four out of five, only because I think. I saw uh, two really cool things in my life come together. I saw dubstep, which I found a nice love of recently, not for everything, but for enough of it to call it one of my one of my genres. Hold on to that thought. <laughs> and 
I, I saw corn and I it felt like corn. Granted, I was only about the fifth or sixth track that I truly felt like, oh, wait, I'm enjoying this. This is great. But it was enough for me to say, yeah, this this is a corn album. I liked it. And it's some it, it's going to go somewhere with any luck that uh, leads to something good and leads to a new type of music that I'm going to enjoy. Uh, so yeah, definitely a, at least a four out of five. Okay, so on average we're going with a three point five. That's worked out kind of neatly so far. We've yet to been completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but I, I'm sure we'll find an album. Eventually. And I must say, Steve, that's about two stars more than I thought you were going to give it. Yeah, honestly, I thought no, you I, weren't. Gonna... I thought you had respect for it, but did not stand it. No, like I said, yeah, but you know ingenuity what? is an important thing with me. Mm-hmm. Fusion, experimentation. As far as I'm concerned, it was a bit of a failed attempt, but I have to give them credit for trying. I really do. Like, many bands cannot recover from that kind of loss. Yeah. You know, you lose your drummer, you lose the whole center, you lose the whole uh, structure of the band. Yeah. And I feel like they found a substitute, and they, they really did... They, they made an interesting substitute. A lot of that techno work is... Um, is technical. <laughs> yes. Excuse the pun. Um, the next thing we wanted to talk about is, you know, we've we've touched on it in many podcasts. This genrefication, this this kind of dividing of the music and the industry to fit it all into neat little packages, and whether it's a benefit or it's a negative, and why. And like the more I talk about it, even sitting here saying these words that are actually coming out of my mouth as I continue to speak right now. I realize Currently, now. Yes, like like at, the, at this moment. Yes, these words that I'm saying. Oh, those words. Those. Those. That just went. No, these. Yes. Ah, but not these. No, not not these. No, okay. not these. Anyway, point. The point is, <laughs> I'm still not sure if genrefication is good or bad. It's hard to tell because in some in some aspects, I feel like it is a good thing because you can find that niche. But on the other hand, I feel like genres start to lose their meaning if. There's a genre for every song. I mean, I always quote, mm. um, there's a Blue October song where he says, you know, that there's a genre for every song. And sometimes it feels that way, you know, with just certain bands, especially like what we said with the Maroon 5 album, you know, some of the songs felt like gar- garbage pop. One of the songs actually sounded like Maroon 5, you know, and then one of the other songs sounded like, you know, Adam Levine went solo. And... It's just so weird that so many albums now, especially, these artists are trying to do different genres within an album. Whereas years and years ago, it was, you know, Rolling Stone released a rock album. You know, uh, Madonna released a pop record. Whereas Mm. a couple of years ago, Madonna released, or maybe more than a couple of years ago now, released music. Where the song, the title track music, featured Ollie G, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. And it kind of had a hip-hop feel. And for Madonna to go into hip-hop was very bizarre wasn't necessarily bad. I don't know that I liked it much, but I mean, you know, it's just so weird to see where these genres are going and if this specificity is good or not. Well, you know what it's starting to appear like? I I would say that many bands and artists are in constant fear that their stuff will get stale, which is sort of, you know, it's almost inevitable. Like, things, things... Time moves. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one constant. And time's changed. Yeah. So I suppose they're trying to stay relevant, and I can't really fault them for that. Sure. And it's a lot of, uh, it, t- it takes a lot of keen experimentation. Sometimes it work and works, and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I, I have to give them credit 
But like I said, you, you should always take great care when you're going to do something that drastic. It, it's tough because if you experiment and jump into other genres, then diehard fans may reject it or they may welcome it. I mean, Metallica got panned, panned for St. Anger, their new album in years. But then with Death Magnetic, the album to follow it, their most recent album, people were more on board because they kind of went more towards their sound. But St. Anger, they tried to do what Disturbed did. They tried to do this kind of new metal sound with hollower drums and this kind of different backbeat, and people hated it. But they were just trying to be different and stay fresh. But that's just the thing. Now, here's the issue that I find with that, is that when it comes to these genre fusions, I feel that sometimes people, artists, lose, lose sight of what they're trying to create, the message they're trying to create. It really ultimately is about the way the song flows. It's, it's about uh, the type of music that you're creating. It's about the mood that you're creating. And sometimes I think that they're too concerned hopping genres and fusing genres that they lose sight of that, um, of that mood. And I feel like with Korn, that was a good example. I feel like with uh, Maroon 5, we had some good examples of that. Yeah. What? You, don't, you don't like tech metal? That's what I'm calling it. Tech metal. It's, it's going to be called you, tech, tech metal. metal. Okay. That's coined um, right now. All right, I, I get a dollar for every time someone says it. Um, no one will be saying that. It's not. It's. it's <laughs> <laughs> You'll see. Um, I don't know. Genrefication. I, we need genres. We don't need some genres, and we don't need some kinds of music to exist because some music is. I don't care how good it is. We well, need how good somebody thinks it is, but... We need genres simply because music is ineffable. You can't describe what it is. Oh, yeah, I like that. That, that, that right there that we're listening to. That, I like that sound. But that doesn't work. So, you know, otherwise no one would have any way to traverse the vast field of, of whatever the hell you want to call it that is music. It's, it's so much going on. All right, you need somewhere to just compartmentalize it. But you're doing we're doing it too much. We're definitely doing it too See, much. I think I think how many different types of metal are there? How many different types? Dozens. How many different types of pop? How many different types of alt rock? I mean, there's just we've we've I've, I've named myself half a dozen different types of rock in one breath. And as I said, that results because of two reasons. One that artists feel they need to be fresh, and therefore are, you know, fusions have been proven to work in the past. Otherwise, you would not have... Jazz itself, which is now a broad spectrum... Um, broad spectrum, there's that word again. It, it is a parent genre, right, of all yeah. these other different types of jazz. And yet, it itself was the fusion of two different things. It, it was a little bit of ragtime, it was a little bit of soul, it was a little bit of slave song, you know, all that stuff. It, it, it is the culmination of that. But that said, I think, you know, people are taking that as an example and doing that a little bit too avidly today. They're, they're, they're throwing things together just because, hey, hey it worked before, it's going to work again. But are they just doing that to do it? Or are they doing that because they really think it sounds good? I, I think genres are, are going to be a double-edged sword forever. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think we can... Like, I understand why you're saying it's bad, John. But I think that when it comes down to it, it is this kind of... Good and bad, and that sometimes the scale shifts more one way than the other. But as long as artists keep experimenting, branching out, and trying new things, someone's going to have to figure out what to call it. I mean, it's the, the best example of it is in, in co comic book movies. 
when a superhero, like when Spider-Man first comes and and Jay Jonah, and he fights the Green Goblin, and Jay Jonah in the first Sam Raimi movie calls him, I'm going to call him the Green Goblin. I want a quarter for every time someone says that name. I mean, that's what I feel like. It's the, the, the when the radios, the radios, when radio was bigger and didn't start to fall off with the invention of the internet, and VJs were really the defining force for genres. I mean, they would talk about these songs at, at extent about, you know, oh, this here's the new rock album from so-and-so, or... Whereas now, because we're a very internet-heavy culture, fans are starting to plug these things into genres. So now they're just making stuff up, and depending on how many views you get, you might be the defining fo- voice in... Well, that's why I see these um, these varying names you know, that we're getting, these uh, prog fusion, prog metal fusion, all that stuff, like... I don't see anything particularly wrong with that, but I, it, 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 the name itself strikes me as a little comical because it is the record label's attempt at compartmentalizing something that simply can't be. Yeah. At, at some point, it's bound to be individualistic. You're, as you're pulling from the realm of ideas, you're going to come up something with that is, is totally you, no yeah. one else's. And <laughs> there's no way to find that you know, easily by doing a Google search. Because your name is just one in a million. Yeah. How do you connect them to the rest? You can vaguely try to gather what the artist's influences are. That that helps greatly. But <laughs> these names are just arbitrary sometimes. It's just what a couple of people hear. Yeah, yeah, you hear a little bit of this and that. Let's call it this, that. <laughs> <laughs> Tech metal. Ugh. <laughs> well, no, I'm... <laughs> My biggest problem with this genrefication, with, with trying to define everything, is that certain... Music should not be defined. I have no problem with saying it's a jazz rock opera. I have no problem calling something uh, metal rap. I don't need to, to, to say it's metal and it's rap. You can experiment with it. You can make a metal album with rap lyrics. That's that's okay. That's good. That's cool. Some of the stuff I listen to nowadays is really cross-genre stuff. The thing is, you're bound to get both eye rolls and exuberation at a you know a pitch like that. You're going to get the people that are just like, really, they think that's going to you know pull off, and then you're going to get other people. Where, wait, wait, I like those two things. The, the they fusion were... of them would be awesome. Yes, it, the sum of the parts creates a slightly better than original whole. Sure. Um, but it's it's like you're on you watch an awards show. MTV or something like that, and the best video footage of someone banging drums together in new wave drum banging is yeah, but and first the, right, but now the where ones, where's the negativity there? Because people, especially in 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 marketing, they're like the newest in such and such, the newest in such and such, and you're just going. Why do we have to call the pop that actually is just like every other pop? Something different. Why do we have to make people feel that they have to listen to this because it is unique? Some genrefication is superfluous. I have a counterpoint to your point. Mm-hmm. Several years ago, I believe it was the Grammys, were giving out the award for Best Metal Album. And in the same category was Jethro Tull and Metallica. And Jethro Tull won for Best Metal Album. I didn't say Grammys, I said MTV. But I'm saying, but my counterpoint is, while I agree, yes, having too many can be confusing, not having enough can also be as bad. Because Metallica should have won that that 
that award hands down, but because Jethro Tull was around longer and a bigger band, they were shoved into that category because they had nowhere else to put them because they didn't have a more specific genre, and they won the award. And the clip of the song they used was the lead singer playing the flute with a drum backbeat. And that's not metal. And, uh. and that's why I think that there needs to be a balance. Also, MTV hasn't done anything significant to do with music in the last ten years at least. Well, they still have the MTV. They're music called voice. MTV. You know what MTV stands for? Music television. Do you know what they show? The Jersey Shore. Ah. They haven't shown music We've on there. MTV for a very long time. Well, That's a whole separate thing altogether. Yeah, that, that is separate. But what I'm saying is... We all agree on that, I think. Yeah. Like they're, they're creating... The, the marketers are creating this, this, this group of genrefication. I don't think it's the people that are really doing it. I think it's primarily marketing that's, that's trying to subdivide everything. And the way they're portraying it is, if you like metal, you have to listen to this because we told you it's metal. If you want to be different, listen to this genre. If you want to be emo, listen to this genre. And it's almost, it's almost sad the way they're trying to get people to listen to specific types of music. Not because they think they're going to like it, but it's, it's, they're trying to pigeonhole people. I don't think that's necessarily it. I think they're simply trying to keep their customers. You have to remember Because, that. I mean, it, they, they really didn't cause that. Society kind of caused that in its way. People found groups which they sort of liked and got along with, and they formed their own little niche. That was, let's say, oh, you know, punk culture or goth culture, right? And then, gradually, they would start listening to the same type of music, right? It started out completely harmless, but later on, you know... Record labels start realizing that, ah, this is their audience. These are the type of people that are coming to our concerts, right? And then they just decide, let's, let's call it this. Let's, even if it is a subgenre of this, let's at least link it to that. Because that may intrigue the same people who went to the last few concerts for the last band of the previous generation. Let's connect it. That's their reasoning, I think. But in creating these connections, it's also... Like, they're creating stigmas associated with different types now of that music. that I agree with. Where if you listen to heavy metal, you're not allowed to listen to, you know, techno-pop. They're supposed to be separate. You're not supposed to have Jethro Tull on an album with Metallica, like you're talking about. They're not supposed to mix. And this is a stigma that's definitely going and influencing uh, younger listeners. Just look at, like... Uh, a perfect example is the Now CDs, where they had the kids singing pop hits. No, that's kids pop. Wasn't mm. that Now as well? No, Now oh. was just a collection of pop songs. Okay. Then it was kids, kids pop. They really were drawing from... They were, they were marketing kids music, not really from multiple genres, unless you bought the kids, kids pop classic rocks or something like that. Like, they even then, for kids... Gearing it towards the future listeners. Ah, those were more just something for kids to listen to that was curse-free and sung by kids. Because kids like hearing kids sing it. Well, see, that is a more valid point because it's one thing when you're doing it to a generation that, you know, was listening to music in their teenage years or something like that. Because, like, their, their tastes are already starting to get formed already. They're simply trying to keep the customers. But kids aren't customers. Yeah. Before you're born, you're not buying things really that much. So that that's really trying to mold a new audience in its way, which I do I do resent. And this this audience is 
now in their late teens, in their twenties, in their thirties, even some of them. And they're 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 stuck. They barely know anything else because they've been taught, they've been right. fed, and they've they know the stigmas. Well, the main I'm, thing it's pop. That that's what it's really come down to. I think. No, I think, I think pop is over... the main problem. Other genres, I don't think, do this that avidly. Sure, they're trying to get people to like their their stuff, but that's natural for any artist. I honestly have a counterpoint. I don't think they're as vindictive. That's my. They're not as vindictive about it. That's my only point. I have a counterpoint also is. To play devil's advocate, even though I do agree with what John's saying to a point, a good example of how genres are actually helping people find new music is YouTube and Pandora. Pandora has an algorithm where, based on the sound of a song, it will recommend other songs. And you could listen to The Killers and get recommended techno because of the keyboard backbeat of one of the songs. And I like the fact that Pandora recommends these songs... Not because of this stigma, as you said, but just because, well, you like this sound, you might like that sound. But in and that case, you're actually not talking about genres. And to a lesser extent, iTunes does the similar thing. But, but if you're saying they're, they're taking the killers and recommending techno or something like that, you're actually saying they're disregarding genres completely. They're just listening for the sound as opposed to its label. Well, that's just the thing. I think uh, Pandora is more altruistic about it. They yeah. really do want you to, you know, broaden your mind. Saying, yeah. like, okay, you like this aspect of music. You don't like the umbrella idea of it. You like this right. thing about it. Which you know? is the opposite okay. of, of, of pigeonholing jaws. Which is the right. opposite You're right. Of that. I'm just saying that I was trying to bring up a point that there are benefits to... It's not all downhill. It's not all end of the world. Oh, there no. are positives coming out of this. No, that's, well, that's Pandora and Spotify are great examples of that. I, I do think that we are we are you know because of the internet and all. I think there are people out there who are gradually getting more informed about other things. Uh, in the end, it does come down to personal choice. If you only care to listen to one thing, well, that's all you're going to listen to. And I'm not sure exactly what society can do about that. That's really comes down to your parents or or your peers in your school, your you know, if you're being pressured to listen to one kind of thing, well, that's probably the way you're going to go, unless you have some kind of rebellious uh, moment in your late teens or something, but I don't know. I think we're really more talking about pop. Pop is the is the main genre where the labels are actually being vindictive. But, and that's they all- are trying to get kids at a young age and having them listen to the most vacant music, you know, lacking in... Uh, Merit. But a lot of that also comes from the artists don't write their own music, don't play their own instruments. Some of them do, but most of them don't. And I think that's part of it is it's not necessarily the artist's fault. Sometimes, because I don't like Lady Gaga. I'll say that right off the bat. I don't like really any of her music at all. I'm not interested in her. But a proof that she's a person is her expression and the way she dresses, acts, the things she says. She's trying to break free of these pop stereotypes that they're these little puppets that are being controlled by the industry. And I think that is innovative and interesting. I don't like hers. I just, I'm not a fan. But I think that, I think that's the direction pop needs to go. I think that these artists need to find a way to reach out and engross an audience without just having the overlords of the industry looking over them. Well, which, what... Uh, pop artists from 30 years ago, we'll say starting in the 80s, or, or even 20 years ago, starting in the early 90s, um, is still making music today. What true pop artists? I'm not talking ones from starting in the 60s and 70s, because 
the 60s and 70s, pop really was a, a solid genre. But name an artist from pop that, that, that in the last two decades stayed making music. Stayed. I was going to say, because New Kids on the Block just released a new album and they're working on, an, on another one. And the newest album got better reviews than half their other albums. Yeah, but they stopped making music for how long, I and they well, they actually are making their music. Justin yes. Timberlake was clearly the most talented of NSYNC, Agreed. and therefore he went his solo career, and he actually writes. Yeah, but there's no bands that lasted 20 years. There's no pop stars that's lasted 20 years. That's what I'm saying. They don't uh, have the staying there'll power. There will be, in a, in a very short time, 90s, the 90s will be 20 years ago. No, that's what I'm saying. I have 19, what, 1992, name someone. Bon Jovi. They started it as 80s hair metal, but come the early 90s, they just became a pop rock band. And they've continued to constantly make successful pop music since. The only album that tanked was the when they attempted a country sound a couple years ago. They have consistently made music, even though you're not a fan, that's been popular and sold well and consistent since the 90s. And that's one out of how many? That's that's the most important <laughs> point. Mm. But there are bands. There aren't many, but there are bands. And I'm not saying that like if you're a rocker, you're going to do awesome. But it's just if you can find a, it's 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 almost like those who like pop are a diluted fan base. And if you can try to make music in another type of genre, you tend to get a pure fan base. A more dedicated fan I don't fan know base. how many fans there are that are purely into pop music. No, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying someone who's... I do know them. They exist, and it is a kind of sad group. Because for me, I like pop music, but it's not the only music I listen to. Well, most pop, of pop, the... Pop should most, be enjoyed as a guilty pleasure most of the pop, else. Most of the pop music I listen to, though, I got into through other genres. Well, again, we're, we're running on the presumption that pop is a genre that we know of pop as today. That we're we're earning a presumption that that is pop when pop is not really a genre at all. Pop is what's popular. And when I look back, you know, the the mass of the twentieth century there, I, I, I see a lot of variety. I see some stuff which is amazing and I see some stuff which is just utter crap. Well I think that that's that's the turning point and that's the difference. Is that pop used to mean what's popular. Now pop just means pop, empty, garbage, you know, processed. I wouldn't say empty, garbage, processed. I mean, I would, but I wouldn't put it on recorded device. But it's more like pop actually has evolved and finally become a genre. I think pop is separate. It's not... Devolved. Devolved Devolved is the word. Okay. Well, okay, so, so to sum up this, genreification, not nearly as bad as just pop music in general. (laughs) <laughs> I, I know that, that's actually not a bad way to start off. Yeah, I, I think that's the conclusion we're coming to, if anything else. Yeah, I think that that we can have a future discussion on pop going forward, and that pop has evolved and changed, and that's kind of what's killing this. That 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 was the stigma of the genreification, not so much genreification itself, but what pop has devolved into. In that case, I think we've, uh, we've, we've created a good division here. I think we'll be getting more into pop separately and genrevocation separately, because this was sort of a mashup that we didn't expect, but, you know, you have it anyway on tape.
And on that note, um, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Of course, you can still reach us at uh, crashchordsblog at gmail.com with your comments and questions as well as directly on the site. Also coming soon, we will actually have a new .com site going up. Um, there will be information on the Facebook page and the original WordPress site about that. And in closing, music is life and life is good. <laughs>